So we are in the final week of a series titled Modern Family, and uh, we've done two weeks. And so how many of you have perfect children? Okay, nobody? All right, so we'll keep going. We'll keep listening. You know, the thing about this series is we... It's not, we're not going to get perfect children at the end of this series. You know, no matter what age your kids are, you're not going to be a perfect parent. Uh, but one of the things that we say at River Ridge is helping people take next steps in their journey with God. And so that's kind of applying that to, to parenting where we say, let's all take next steps in our parenting, in the way that we parent our children. And, you know, as I've been reflecting on uh, parenting a lot over the last three weeks, and probably more than that leading up and kind of evaluating my own parenting, I've come to a conclusion, or maybe this is two different conclusions, but I've come to the conclusion that parenting is awesome and parenting is really difficult. And so I was thinking about this really just even the last 12 or 15 hours. Is So last night, um, or yesterday afternoon, we had a little boy over at our house, um, a little about two-year-old kid, uh, and he's just the absolute cutest thing. I mean, he just toddles around and smiles, and he's super smart and funny and laughs. Uh, my kids taught him how to dab, you know, do this. So, you know, so he goes, he goes like that. That's his dab. It was awesome, right? So we just had a great time. It was just so much fun. Well, last night was a bit of an unusual night because last night, Stacy. Uh, babysat an infant and a, and a toddler, an infant and a three-year-old, as part of uh, mothers of preschoolers to help out another mom. And so she goes there and, and uh, by herself comes back, and we're sitting on the couch last night watching a football game, and she goes, I'm exhausted. I know why 49-year-old women don't have infant children. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's like those two things. It's like little kids are awesome but they are exhausting. And so if you've got kids in that age group, that's kind of what you're dealing with. It's fun, but boy, is it exhausting. And then your kids get to be a little bit older and elementary school, and man, they're passionate about stuff, and their passions are growing and developing, and they love this a whole lot, and they can't get enough of this. Um, but the flip side of that is now, although they love this, now they hate this. And it's like trying to get them to kind of corral some of that anti-passion anger towards some stuff that's good is it's just hard. And then your kids get to be in middle school and high school. Um, and by the way, I love the fact that middle school and high, or high school kids sit up front here, but sometimes you guys are just stupid. Like you just do dumb things and we're like, oh my gosh, this is my childhood. This is my wife's child, this one here, you know? But you know, high school kids, it's just, they do dumb stuff. Why'd you do that? I don't know. I wasn't thinking. Well, obviously you weren't thinking when you, whatever it is. But then Two days later, they will do something amazing. They will have this amazing, you know, statement about life. Or they will care for somebody in an incredible way. Or have this incredible, passionate experience as far as, you know, loving on somebody. It's like, wow, is this the same kid that was an idiot two days ago? And it's like, what happened here? And so I say that because it's just, it's just different. There's all these kind of pros and cons, ups and downs of parenting. And then our kids grow and go out of the house. And, and there's difficulty there too. If you've got kids who are that age, you know, who are in college or beyond. And, and sometimes you just want to reach in and say, you're making some bad decisions here. And you can see the decisions that they're making. And they're going this direction. It's like, oh, they're making another bad decision, another bad decision. You know, what is going on? But then the opposite happens sometimes too. And, you know, after 18, 20 years of going, Mom, Dad, you're the dumbest people in the world I know best, they come back and they say, could you help me with this? 
I'm not sure what to do. What would you do in this situation, Mom? What would you do in this situation, Dad? It's like, wow, maybe our kids are doing okay. As you think about your kids, if you're a parent, you know, all of us have this view or this vision that what we want is for our kids to turn out. I want my kids to turn out well. And that may mean a little bit different to different people. But what we want to do is we want to do the right things now so that our kids turn out okay later. Let me give you a number. You can write this down if you want. It's not going to be on the screen, but it's a, it's a number. The number is 6,570. 6,570. That's the number of days that you will have your child in your household from birth to age 18, if they leave the house at about age 18. 6,570. So the question is, what are we going to do with those 6,570 days so that our kids turn out well? And we ask ourselves, and I ask myself this a lot, am I doing the right things? Am I doing the right things now so at the end of this time period, when they're grown and gone, are they going to do well in life? And we evaluate and we look at our lives in that way. I want to share with you an illustration that is um, a little bit outside of my knowledge base. Um, and so if I mess up, feel free to come back later and say, no, you should have said this. And I'll, you know, if I ever do this sermon again, I'll, I'll say this. But here's, here's what I want to share. I want you to imagine that you are shooting an arrow, a bow and arrow. And over there, you know, maybe 20 yards away, 30 yards away, however far away you want to picture it, there's a target that you're shooting for. And so what you do on this end is you want to line up, and there's things that you do as an archer. You know, you have your feet apart, you have your bow in a certain way, certain held a certain way, and you, you bring the arrow back, and you put the arrow in the string a certain way, and you breathe a certain way, and you pull it back to your cheek in a certain way. And there's, you know, there's all these things that we adjust on this end, and then we let go and let the arrow fly, and we want to hit the target. And the more that we do right as an archer in that situation, the more that we you know, do all these stance things and breathing things and pulling back and all that, the more that we do right, the more likely it is to hit the target on the other end. But we could do absolutely everything right, but we still miss the target because the wind blows, because a cow gets in the way, because the target flips over, who knows, whatever. You know, but you know, there's, there's different things that could happen that we shoot the arrow and it doesn't, it doesn't reach the target, right? Now, by the same token, we can do everything wrong. You know, we can shoot it with the wrong hand or behind our back or, you know, shoot it up in the air, you know, and it bounces off of a barn and then the floor and then it, the ground and then it hits the target. It's like, wow, it hit the target. What do you know? You know, we can do everything wrong and the arrow still might hit the target, and I share this with you because as you think about parenting, that's a lot like parenting. That what we want to do is we want to do everything that we can, everything that's in our control to put the arrow on the target. We want to do everything in our control so that our kids will turn out the way that God wants them to turn out. But there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. But what we can do is do the most that we can on this end to ensure that it does hit the target, that our kids turn out the way that God wants them on the other end. We do all that we can with the 6,570 days on our end so that when we release our kids, when they're grown and gone, that they're doing well. And so what is it that we do? What are the things that we do to ensure that our kids turn out the way that God wants them to turn out? What do we do with our 6,570 days? 
Well, this morning, I'm going to share with you five parenting values, five things to think on and focus on about getting our kids to turn out the way that God would want them to turn out, the way that we would want them to turn out. And of these, two of them we've actually stated, two of them we've talked about but haven't used these words, then one of them is pretty new, and then we'll talk about that at the end. So if you have your Bible, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So this is the target. When we talk about what's the target in archery, it's the target out there. This is the target that we're shooting for with our kids. That they would love God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their strength. That they would love God with their emotions, but they would just be passionately in love with God. That they would love God with their soul, the very depths of who they are. And they would love God with their might or with their strength. The idea of in the way that they work and live and play and act, that that would be a representation of loving God. That's what we want our kids to turn out. That's the goal. And so we put it this way. It's imagine the end. Imagine the end. That's the end that we're shooting for. That our kids would turn out with a love for God and a love for others. You know, a way that this has been asked is this is, in a hundred years, what's going to matter with our kids? In a hundred years, what's going to matter? Because in a hundred years, it's not going to matter how good our kid is at soccer or tennis or football or baseball. In a hundred years, it's not going to matter what grades they got in school. In a hundred years, it's not going to matter where they went to college. In a hundred years, it's not going to matter the amount of money that they made. In a hundred years, the only thing that's going to matter is do they love God and have they loved other people well? That's what will make a difference in this world. And so we ask ourselves, do we imagine the end? Are we putting most of our efforts and energy saying, how can I have my kid turn out so they love God and love others? And you know, it's interesting. In in America, when it comes to parenting, we do something that's more of a business term, but as I explain, you go, we do do that. It's, you know what we do as parents? We outsource. We outsource the teaching and instruction of our kids. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, if you want your son or your daughter to learn how to play tennis, you, know, you send them to the YMCA or you send them to Charleston Tennis Club to learn how to play tennis. If you want your son or daughter to learn how to play piano, you outsource that to the piano teacher down the street or, or someplace like that. If you want your kid to learn how to read and write and do geography and science and history, you outsource them to a school, right? You drop them off at school and you pick them up. That is outsourcing, right? And that's fine. We do that. The Sands do that. I'm not saying outsourcing is bad, but whether it comes to art or dance or soccer or basketball or coding club, we outsource so somebody else teaches our kids. But here's what I want to make sure that we don't fall into the practice of as people who are discipling our kids, is that we can't outsource the discipleship of our kids. You know, we don't want to, well, I take them to school to learn math and reading, and I take them to the YMCA to learn how to play soccer, and I take them to church to learn how to love Jesus. Because that's not the model that we see here. What we see in the scriptures is the responsibility of discipling your children falls on you as the parent. Here's an interesting kind of number type of thing. 
If you bring your kids to church, if you're faithful and bring your kids to church, they will be with River Ridge Church for about 40 hours a year. So that's 40 hours a year, and that's, you know, because you're going to be gone on vacation, and your kids are going to be sick, or you're going to be sick. But 40 hours a year is a very good, strong sort of church attendance these days, right? 40 hours, and we at River Ridge Church, we will do all that we can in the 40 hours that we have your kids with our volunteers and our program and all our relationships and all that stuff. We'll do the best that we can with those 40 hours, right, to, to pour into your kids. But you as a parent, do you know how many hours you have each year with your child? 3,000 hours. And that's after you take away sleep, and that's after you take away the time that you're at work and they're at school. That you have 3,000 hours to be with your kids, to influence your kids. So who's going to do a better job? You are. And so what we at River Church do is we want to equip you as parents to parent well. And we talked last, or two weeks ago, we gave you a bunch of tools and so forth, and those are out there at the Modern Family kiosk in the, in the hallway out there if you want to pick them up. But the responsibility is on you because you're the ones that God has given the responsibility to, not the church, but the family. Let's look at the next one. This is uh, in verse 6. Uh, it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So the words of God, the words of Christ need to be on our hearts first. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's make it personal. The idea that we need to own our own faith, our own relationship with God. And if we are growing in Christ, if we are pursuing Christ, that's going to have a huge impact on our kids. And again, it's, this is not about am I mature enough. It's about wherever you are taking steps of growth to maturity. And then the next one is this, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago as well. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So this is the commands of God. You shall teach the commands of God diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And the words that we put this with this a couple weeks ago are create a rhythm, that we want to create a rhythm with our kids where they're constantly in contact with the word of God. And the, the video that we saw earlier in the service, that was about creating a rhythm. Part of the rhythm that you create is bringing your kids to church. And I would really challenge you and encourage you that you would say, hey, we're going to church every Sunday that we're in town. Don't wake up on a Sunday going, are we going to church today or are we not going to church? Make that decision once for all. We're going to church if we're in town and we're healthy and we're able to get there. And make that a part of the rhythm of your kids' lives. Here's the fourth one. It's widen the circle. And widen the circle means this. It means having people in your kids' lives who speak the same message of hope in Christ that you do. Having people speak the same message. It's widen the circle. And so part of that is being intentional, making sure that there are other adults in your kids' lives that are going to speak truth and have relationships with them. But, all, but this one in particular falls on all of us. Whether your kids are grown and gone, whether you don't have kids, whether you never want kids, you have a role to play in widening the circle. If you're a river camp leader, if you're a student ministry volunteer, if you work in the toddler nursery, if you're a counselor, if you're a teacher, if you have nieces and nephews, if you have grandchildren, if you, I mean, everybody plays a role in widening the circle of helping to pass faith on to the next generation. And then we come to the final 
uh, parenting value, and it's this. It's fight for the heart. Fight for the heart. And this is about relationships with our kids. Fight for the relationships with our kids. There's a phrase, I wish it was original with me. I didn't write it or invent it. I read it somewhere, but I think it's worth sharing, and it's this. It's rules without relationship leads to rebellion. (laughs) Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. You see, you know, we'll have our kids for 6,570 days, but what happens on the 6,571st day and our kids are out of the house? You see, when we talk about kids, when kids are little, we can control them. You know, I can take a little toddler, I can pick him up, and I can put him in his crib. I can take a kid, and I can put him over here. I can, I can make my kid sit at the dining room table until he finishes his peas, right? And I can say to him, unless you finish these peas, you're going to be having them for breakfast tomorrow morning, young man, right? And I can follow through on that, and I can control my kid right? And as they get older, we can still kind of control them with the money that we spend on them, the cell phone that we give them or don't give them, the permission to use the car. We can, we can control kids. But at a point, we as parents, we can no longer control kids. We no lo- they're going to be grown and gone at some point, and we can't control them. You see, I say that because what we're shooting for is influence, that we want to influence our kids for a lifetime. As we imagine the answer, we say, this is the future. This is, I want to paint this future for where you will be and who you will become. It's done through the context of relationships. And we fight for the heart. We fight for that relationship with our kids. I want us to look briefly at a passage in Exodus chapter 12. So if you brought your Bible, turn over to Exodus chapter 12. And when we read through this the first time, This will appear to have absolutely nothing to do with parenting. But as we take a look kind of just under the surface, we say, oh, this has everything to do with parenting. And here's what's going on in Exodus chapter 12, if you've turned there. Probably has the heading of something like the Exodus. And so what's going on at this point in time is Israel is in captivity in Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt. And Moses has gone to Pharaoh, the head of Egypt, and says, let my people go. And Moses says, I'm not letting them go. I'm not letting them go. And then Moses says, well, God's going to have a plague come on you. And so this happens basically nine times over, that nine different plagues come to the nation of Egypt because Pharaoh won't let Israel go free, okay? And now it comes to the 10th plague. And the 10th plague is that if Pharaoh will not let the Israelites go, that God will strike down the firstborn son, the firstborn male of every family in Egypt. And so what happens is then God comes to Israel and says, to avoid your firstborn sons being killed as well with the Egyptian sons, I want you to kill a lamb. So you're going to sacrifice a lamb, and then you're going to take the blood of the lamb, dip it, uh, dip uh, a hyssop branch in the blood, and you're going to paint blood on the sides of your door frame and on the top of your door frame. And that will be a sign to pass over that house, okay? So that's how they are going to be, uh, how they're going to escape this judgment of God. So we pick this up in verse 24. It says, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons. And so the right that they're to observe is what's called the Passover of, of sacrificing the lamb and painting the doorpost. You shall observe this 
and your sons forever. And that, that um, tradition has been passed on for thousands and thousands of years. And it says this, And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And so what's going to happen is they're going to be freed from Egypt, and they're going to go to the land of Canaan, or the promised land as they would have called it. And when they get there, he says, I want you to keep on practicing the Passover. Keep this tradition going on. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, and he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And so what we have here is the establishment of what is called the Passover feast. And it was celebrated for thousands and thousands of years. And then at the time of Jesus, you've probably heard how Jesus had the the Last Supper with his disciples. The Last Supper was actually a Passover feast. It was a Passover celebration. And you see, God wanted the Passover to be celebrated year after year after year because it was when he set Israel free from slavery. And he wanted them to remember, to always remember the relationship that God had and that God has with his people. And so he says, celebrate the Passover to remember the relationship that we have, that I set you free from slavery. And then from the time of Jesus until now, we celebrate communion. That was what was instituted at the Last Supper. Jesus said, as often as you eat this meal, do this in remembrance of me. And so what we remember is that we are set free from the bondage of sin. We are set free from the penalty of sin. That's why we celebrate communion. And that all has to do with because God wants to have a relationship with us. That's what God desires from us. So that's what's going on here, setting up this precedent of this milestone of let's always remember the relationship of God and his people. So then we go back and look at one little verse in here, and this will kind of bring it all together to make it make sense. This is verse 26. It says, And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say. You see, the remembering of God with the Passover was part of God's plan to pass faith on from generation to generation to generation, from parent to child, and that child to his child, and so forth and so on. It's that there, we want to set these milestones where we're looking and saying, God is faithful. And we set these milestones up in the life and body faith in terms of in the church and the nation of Israel. But what we also do as parents is we want to create these milestones and memories with our own children so that they will point to the faith that we have and we can pass that faith on from us to our children. And that's where Fight for the Heart comes in. It's about building this relationship. It's about building these memories. It's about building these milestones into the lives of our kids so that we can continually talk about imagining the end. So we can continually talk about, this is what I want for your life. In the same way that at that time they said, do this so that your kids will say, why are we doing this? There's a great passage Uh, I think it's in the book of Joshua. We're actually going to look at it in about three or four weeks where uh, they're they're told, the Israelites are told, build a a, a pile of rocks, basically. And then every time your kids walk by the pile of rocks and say, why are there a pile of rocks there? Then you can tell them about the faithfulness 
of God. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks as part of our kind of vision celebration Sunday, uh, October 27th. But it's the same type of thing of building these milestones in our kids' lives. So how do we go about doing that? What are these milestones that we build? The first thing is this, and this is probably not new to anybody, but if you have multiple kids, all of our kids are different. And we need to remember that. We need to build the individual relationship with each of our children. You know, my son Riley loves sports. And so from the time he was probably three and a half years old or four years old, we would play one-on-one soccer in this back empty room that we have at our house. And that was a way that we just built our relationship. Emily, when she got to be about four, five, six years old, she loved playing dress-up. So we had this whole drawer of dress-up stuff and this whole box, and she would come downstairs and show things off. And then, you know, when her brothers got old enough, she would dress them up and send them down, you know, these dresses and sequin things and stuff like that. But it was about building that relationship. My son, Ben, loves to play chess. He's the only one in the family that likes the game of chess. And so we go out on these chess dates before the uh, Dairy Queen at the mall closed. We would go to the mall and we would get $5 lunches because I'm cheap. uh, And then we would play chess. It was about building the relationship. But we set these things up where we're regularly building the relationship with our kids. One of the things that Steve Neal does that I love about kind of his relationship with one of his kids is every Saturday he takes his daughter Emma to the dog pound. And they go and they just love on the animals and play with the animals uh, at the dog pound. And that's going to be a memory that's going to be carried through for her and that special time with her dad for an entire lifetime of that relationship time that they built, that we built in those regular relationship building times with our kids. When we're in these times, when we have these individual times with our kids, we want to make the most of them. Sometimes we talk about sports and school and what's going on, and sometimes we talk about more significant things. But we always want to keep this idea of imagine the end as we're building these relationships with our kids. It's not that we just build relationships for the sake of it. I mean, we want to have good relationships with our kids, but it's part of imagine the end and and where we want them to turn out. I was reminded of this recently as Stacy and I were having a conversation. And um, there was one time when Stacy invited one of our sons, and I'm not going to tell you which son, and you'll know at the end of the story, and don't go asking which son are you the son, because that would be embarrassing for all of us. But, um, so, but she asked the son, she says, hey, do you want to go get some ice cream? And the kid goes, mm, not really. And Stacy's like, no, it'll just be the two of us. It'll be fun. It'll be kind of like a date. You and I will go out. We'll get ice cream. No, I don't really want to. And that's just weird because all of our boys love ice cream. Stacy likes ice cream. And, and so Stacy presses a little bit more and says, why don't you want to go get ice cream? I don't, it should just be the two of us. And the kid kind of reluctantly goes, well, Dad took me to Taco Bell, and it was just the two of us, and we talked about sex, and I don't want to talk about sex with you. <laughs> like... You know, but we, we have these conversations... And we want to have these conversations, but it has to be built on the relationships that we have with our kids. You know, and you may be here, and, and as I look around, I know that as I'm looking around, there are some of you, your kids are grown and gone. And maybe you look back when they were in middle school and elementary school and high school, and you wish that you had invested in that relationship more. And you may be here and feel like there's kind of a distance in your relationship with your kids and and you don't have the influence anymore. And I want to encourage you with this, that it is never too late to build the relationship. 
it is never too late to build a relationship. A friend of mine in Cleveland, um, his, you know, he, he raised his kids, and, and his, kids, his son was kind of grown and gone. I was friends with his son, but he didn't um, really do a great job of investing spiritually in his, in his son, in that relationship. He was kind of busy doing work and stuff, and he, and he kind of had this aha moment that he had missed his time with his son and building that relationship. And so he made a very intentional decision. My kid, my son is 19, 20 years old, and I'm going to go back and I'm going to build that relationship. And so this is a guy that puts together multi-million dollar corporation deals, but every Thursday night, he went over to his son's house and they played video games. And this was not a video game kind of dad, but he went and played video games to build the relationship with his son because he was still fighting for the heart. He was still fighting to have influence with his kid to speak into his son's life. We create these memories. We create these regular milestones like the Passover, like building a statue of rocks so that our kids will say, hey, you remember that? And let's talk. You know, one of the things that we've continued or that we've started um, recently as our kids have grown um, so Emily's at college in Ohio, Riley's at college in Texas, uh, and so every Sunday night we have a video call where everybody dials into a Google Hangout kind of place, uh, it's a video call, and we just talk about life and what's going on. I, I ripped the idea off from a buddy of mine in Texas, but it's this idea that we're setting this milestone of, hey, every Sunday night we're going to connect with one another, and maybe this will continue and, you know, we'll get kids and grandkids on this thing at some point, you know, but it's this idea of making a connection point, of building that relationship. As far as creating milestones and as far as um, creating these, these opportunities to fight for the heart and remembrances, I would challenge you and encourage you that every step every time your kids move from one thing to another thing, to make a milestone out of it. You know, I mean, we, we did it when our kids were little, when they, you know, went from diapers into big boy underpants. We're like, hey, it's a big deal. I mean, we all celebrated that. Like, hey, don't pee on Spider-Man, you know, kind of thing, right? But let's do that in a spiritual way. I don't know what don't pee on Spider-Man spiritually means, but, but the idea of when our kids go from one segment of life to the next, let's use that as a milestone to celebrate what God has done, but also to cast a vision for the future. For what's this next phase? What is your life going to look like now that you're in first grade? What's your life going to look like now that you're in middle school, now that you're in high school? And so Stacy and I uh, haven't done a great job of this. We've tried a couple different ways. Um, But one way that we did um, recently with our son, Rye, I want to share with you, again, not because we've gotten this right every time, because maybe this would be something you would do or something you'd get an idea to do. And this was, uh, so Riley graduated from high school in May. And on lunch, the lunch, the day of his graduation, both of his grandparents were in town. And so it worked really well. Both of his grandfathers were in town. And so we all went out to lunch. And then I invited about, I don't know, six or seven, eight other people. Um, actually, here's a picture of it. And, uh, and we had lunch together. And I asked each of these men to share a word of wisdom with Riley about something, that, a word of wisdom to take with him into the future. And then and each of these men went around the table and they shared something with Riley about wisdom for the future. And these are men that had all had an influence in Riley's life. Uh, and then I, I jotted those down 
Uh, and then I put together a poster. And when I went to um, drop Riley off at school in Texas, I, I kind of snuck the poster into his car. And I put it up, and it actually it looks like this. Um, it says, he who walks with the wise grows wise. And that hangs on his dorm room wall. And I did that because I want him to choose wise friends. I want him to walk with wise and godly people for the rest of his life. And that sits there as a milestone, as a marker in his dorm room every day that he looks at it. And I hope he looks at that and says, I want to have friends and people in my life who poured into me, that helped me go in the right direction, like when I was in high school. That's a milestone that we set. And so I challenge you and encourage you to set those milestones when your kids move from one point to the next to do something special. It may be a dinner, it may be a card, maybe getting some friends to surround them, whatever it is, but make a big deal out of those milestones. You know, we're not going to become perfect parents overnight. We're not going to become perfect parents by the end of the month. But what we can do is we can look at these five values and we can say, I'm going to work on all five of these. I'm going to just take baby steps forward of widening the circle, of fighting for the heart, of making a priority of my own relationship with God, of creating a rhythm of going to church and talking with my kids about Christ and all these things. We can take steps forward. And I would just challenge you, what are the two or three steps that God's laying on your heart in order to take a step forward so that your kid ends up loving God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for these words of Scripture. Thank you for the godly examples of parenting that I've seen in my life. Um, And Lord, I pray for each parent here uh, and each person that will be a parent, that you would guide them to be great parents who love you with everything that they have and who are imparting and teaching that and discipling that and modeling that and inspiring that in their own children. And God, I pray for all the kids that are represented in this room, either those of us that are kids, those of us who have kids. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to pass faith on, to influence the next generation for Jesus Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.